having, you know, a parent who is so extraordinarily successful in the field, you know, it was, it was a lot of pressure. Welcome to You Should Write a Book About That. I'm Kim O'Hara, a book coach with a story inside, and I'm interviewing fascinating people from all walks of life with a story to tell. Do these folks have a best-selling book in them? Stick around and find out. I met Rory Green nine years ago when I was at a critical crossroads in my life. She held an intimate, reflective writing group in her home, and I cried my way through weeks of writing and meditating. She has a special gift of holding space to discover long-buried voices, and it was only recently that we started to talk about her relationship with her mother, the trailblazing author Jackie Collins. And I'm really looking forward to diving more into that conversation today on the show. Thank you for being here, Rory. Oh, Kim, it's an absolute pleasure to be on. Thank you so much for having me. So tell me about growing up with Jackie Collins. What age did you know your mom was famous? Uh, it's, it's a funny question because I think when, as a child of a parent who is in the public eye, it's not something you necessarily realize because in your life that's just normal. But I do remember... Um, when I was about seven or eight years old, um, my mother was doing a big book tour in Australia. She was extremely popular in Australia. And the publishers set up the whole thing and they flew us out first class and the whole family went and we traveled around different parts of Australia. And when we got off the plane, there was paparazzi there and my mother was on the cover of all the newspapers. And and I think it was at that point I realized like, oh, not everybody's mother is, is having this happen when they get off an airplane. I think that was when the coin actually dropped. <laughs> right. And did you know what being a writer meant in terms of her job and that that's what she did as a as a profession? Uh, yeah, I think I always knew because my mother's profession was very much part of our life and part of her daily life. So you know, as a writer myself, I understand that. Like she was just, uh, you know, always observing. She was always taking the world in. She always had a notebook and she was always taking notes when we were out and about, we were shopping. If she heard a little snippet of dialogue, she'd write it down in a notebook. And, you know, whenever we, the houses that we lived in when we were growing up, she always had a room of her own. You know, she wrote a book called Lady Boss. I like to call it her Lady Boss Cave versus Man Cave. She always had a space that was a dedicated space where she would she would have a desk where she'd write everything longhand. She wrote all her books longhand. And she was also very inspired by music. So she always had bookcases and, and, and bookcases filled with, you know, records and cassette tapes. And she'd make mixtapes. And it was a world that we, as my sisters and I, were very much welcomed into. So, you know, she, we'd go and sit down at her desk and she'd read us a snippet. Of course, an appropriate snippet because not all of her writing was appropriate for you know, a 12 year old, but she'd all, she didn't, she loved reading out loud, which is something I love to do as well. And she was writing her books by hand at that point, right? Yeah, she wrote every single one. She wrote 32 novels by hand. That was her process. It was a very particular process for her. She had very beautiful handwriting. In fact, I, even now, she's been dead for five years. If I see her handwriting, I hear her voice. It's that, you know, it's that emotive for me. Um, and yes, and then she'd go through a long process where the books would then get, you know, uh, they'd get typed out and she would go back and edit various stages. 
such a beautiful, it's so fascinating to hear about someone's process who's that prolific of a writer who has put out that much volume of books. And then you decided to become a writer. Did she give you any advice on how to be a writer or any pitfalls? Um, I think it's interesting, this 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 idea of that I decided to become a writer, because I feel like, and I think this is what I understood from her, I was kind of born a writer. And I, and I feel this way, as you know, because you've worked with me. I feel this way about everybody. I think that creativity is our birthright, you know, and, and we're born these supremely creative beings. And we can often get educated or, you know, we can get steered out of being creative. So I feel very grateful that I grew up in a family where creativity was really encouraged and, um, you know, was was sort of, we were blossoming as creative beings. And my mother helped me in that respect. You know, she knew I was a writer too. So she didn't necessarily give me advice. She was just always very encouraging. She always held space for creativity. And that's what you do. You hold space for creativity for people that come in to, you know, your living room, which is where I've had some of the most beautiful, potent, creative gifts and hold space for whatever needs to come out through journaling or a short story, the start of a short story or, you know, uh, just gibberish sometimes <laughs> or people <laughs> might not write anything, you know, and I think it's, you know, interesting that you have this very loose definition of your space creatively, but you did write a novel. So you are uh, in alignment with the, the construct of from start to finish. But from what I understand, publishing was not a wonderful journey for you. Well, I think it was a challenging journey because I always felt myself to be a writer. Um, but having, you know, a parent who is so extraordinarily successful in the field you know it was it was a lot of pressure and I think intuitively as a young woman I kind of felt this conflict like I want to write but I don't think I should because I feel like it would be a painful process like I'd feel like I'd never live up to you know the my mother's um, not that I wanted to have that level of success but it just sometimes you can feel eclipsed when a parent is that successful and I know if you know if you look around often it will go two routes. Either either a child will follow in their parents' footsteps or they'll do something completely different. And I've actually, you know, dipped into both, but I ended up studying to be a psychotherapist, potentially, I think probably to work through some of these issues in my my own sense of self. So I did publish a children's book, um nineteen ninety seven. So that was many, many years ago. Um and then I just I had real difficulty afterwards getting anything else published. I mean, I did submit other manuscripts and they were rejected. And I went through a, a big, um, quite um, challenging experience of, of dealing with rejection and, and, and having to work through that and having to work through the pressures of being published, particularly coming from my family. And it's really how Right to Be You was born because I wanted to create a space which was less about how to be published and more about how can we just enjoy writing, enjoy, you know, our voices, find our voices, find that true authenticity and, and just celebrate it without just having to hang on to this sense of I must be validated by being published. And of course, many women who have come through my workshop have ended up being published because it's almost like when you get liberated from that pressure, you know, the world opens up in a different way. 
I, I absolutely agree with that. And I was going to say, you know, you seem to have made a decision on a format and it's clear that this was informed by your own experiences to take away that, you know, critical assessment of writing or that evaluation that often happens when writing groups are formed. And we're going to all trade our material and critique it. It's like, no, thank you. No, thank you. Yes. How do you even know? How do you know? You know, that, that's sort of like, I just want to get feedback to where maybe I could go deeper or that's really good or that seems like really fertile ground. Maybe you should you should expand that. And that doesn't even necessarily happen in your groups. It's more of just a sharing and a flow and an observing and a witnessing. Well, very I mean, beautiful. I think it's time. I think it's timing, actually. I think some of those writing groups can be really fruitful if you're if you're robust enough, if you're emotionally robust enough and you're ready to really dig in and do the work. But often, if you get there too early, they can be really wounding to writers and they can really dislocate a writer from, you know, her true sense of self or or her voice. And I think that was my experience because I went through many of these writing workshops. I remember when I was in my 20s, I applied to do a creative writing MA and I think I applied to six different programs. I got rejected from all of them. But then I kept going through different workshops and classes. And now I say, I, you know, I, I get PTSD when I see a, you know, a red pen or a line through something <laughs> because I just, I, I just wasn't, you know, I wasn't in the right emotional space to withstand that. And I think right to be, you, you know, as you've experienced, it's more womb-like, you know, it's a much softer, gentler space, which I think is really integral to many people's emotional and creative development. So, you know, and I've told you this, I think you should write a book about your relationship with your mom and <laughs> even more so the experience you had with her when both of you had breast cancer at the same time. And there was a history of it in your family and even deeper, a secretive aspect of it. Yes, that's right. So um, my grandmother, my mother's mother died of breast cancer when she was 56. And then my mother died of breast cancer when she was 77. She was two weeks away from her 78th birthday. And I was diagnosed with breast cancer when I was 45. And that was only two months before my mother died. So, yeah, there's something very, and we have been told we don't have the BRCA gene in our family. But, you know, we've had lots of genetic testing and we've been told there probably is something genetic that hasn't been recognized in us yet. Um, But, you know, it was a very powerful, very emotional, very painful time. But I felt this real sense of my grandmother. I think, you know, it was in the 1960s when she was diagnosed and there was a real sense of let's lock this up. We don't want anybody to know about it. And my mother, in a similar way, I think when she first realized she had breast cancer, she really didn't want to share it with the world. And I totally respected her reasons. Obviously, she was in the public eye and she didn't want to be defined by the disease. And so she, you know, she lived an extraordinarily vibrant life for, you know, six years with stage four cancer. She was amazing. But during that time was when I, yeah. And during that time was when I was diagnosed, obviously, just before her death. And and I had to do it differently. I felt like there was something I needed to interrupt generationally in terms of kind of healing, healing the, the secret around cancer. And I was, you know, again, you know, as we as we know, Chadwick Boseman just chose not to share his diagnosis. I really respect that, particularly when people are in the public eye. But I felt that I just needed to make a different choice for myself. And, you know, it was 
it was a, a really powerful time for my mother and I, very healing and, um, you know, and desperately sad. But she did know I had I had finished my treatment and had had my final surgery about three weeks before she died. Um, and she always used to say to me, I know you're going to be OK. So it was very, yeah, really, really tough. But um, it's powerful, yeah. though. It's powerful. There is a big story to tell there. And I think. Um, actually, there's a documentary in being made about my mother now. And so I was interviewed for the documentary. And we were very, when we were growing up, she was obviously very much in the public eye, but she kept family very private. You know, we were never, she never had us photographed in magazines or she really liked to compartmentalize her family life and her and her public life and her, you know, professional life. So, um, but we're making this documentary, my sisters and I, well, the documentary is being made and we are participating in it. We're very excited about it. It's a real celebration of her life and her career. So I did get an opportunity to talk about some of that in the documentary. Well, that's exciting. Oh, I'm looking forward to that coming out. And tell me right now for you as a writer, Let's separate you from the woman who supports all these other writers. What kind of writing are you doing and what kind of relationship are you having with writing right now? Well, currently, my I am involved in a writer's group where we meet on Zoom. And this was really born from, you know, this time of quarantine, as, as many new things have grown into this space. You know, it, we've all had to pivot our lives in different ways. But for me, this has been a real silver lining. So, uh, you know, a friend of mine started a writing group, which I joined in with. And so there's six of us and we meet twice a week for an hour and we just share prompts. So we just give each other a prompt and then we write for 10 minutes. And then we read and we, there's no there's no feedback. There's no reflection back. It's just write and read. And, and it becomes like this extraordinary rhythm that's weaved between the six of us. And I just love it. It's really helped me kind of be very playful, you know, trust my voice. Um, you know, I'm not worried about is anything going to come of these pieces. I just it's almost like exercising. You know, I just I feel really good and grounded and anchored after I've had this experience. And I also love listening to other people read, which is why I love the work that I do so much, because I've just had this extraordinary privilege of being able to hear women read over the years. And I'm telling you, and, you know, because you've had the experience, what you know, what you can write in 10 minutes is sometimes just just mind blowing. You know, I've heard so mind many blowing written, <laughs> written spontaneously in 10 minutes. And you think, oh, how how was that not craft? How, how did that not take days and days to craft? And that's what excites me about the work when you can just really find that authentic voice and you trust yourself just to keep going and just let it let it flow. I love I love that aspect. So that's the part of writing that I'm tapping into myself at the moment. And I definitely would love to write a book. And I'd love to write a book about Right to Be You, actually, and about the process. And part of that might be telling some of my story. You know, I, I, I've got it in my head. The first chapter would be called Right to Be Me. So that would be, you know, talking about my my journey. But I'd really love to write a book that could act as a, you know, as a guide for other people to actually start these kind of groups and so, you know, and offer prompts and a structure and um, and the thinking, you know, the thinking behind it. So that's that's somewhere on the agenda. I don't know when I'll get to it, but I would like to. The 10 minutes that you have writing when we're in the group, and I have gone from, you know, just vomiting to actually writing something that has a beginning, middle and end in 10 minutes. It's something I'm quite good at. 
And it's hard for me to hold space that that was like the best piece I could have ever written in 10 minutes because automatically I think, um, wow, that was really good. This should be a book, right? Because like you want it to be something like it's, it's, it's like hard for it to just, it's a metaphor for life, right? To just let the 10 minute piece be the 10 minute piece and then have faith that if it, it might be the gateway to some other writing. Something about staying with it and, and staying with yourself, you know, and that's where the self-compassion comes in. I would say that let's befriend ourselves, you know, let's treat ourselves with care and compassion all the time, but particularly when we're in the creative process and particularly when we're stuck, because we so often have the tendency to want to abandon ourselves when we're stuck. So what, what, what does it feel like to do that differently, to actually show up for ourselves, even in that 10 minute writing prompt? Yes. And, you know, having known you for almost a decade, which is hard to believe, um, I <laughs> came in your space recently last year and worked with you privately. And I remember going in and, and, and it was different. I had felt this different power with the way that you held your space. You had put up pictures of your mom. Um, I she was staring right at me uh, from the from the shelf the entire time we were working and we did a meditation and an eagle came to me on a totem. And I thought, oh, my God, yeah. spirit animals are showing up in this space now. <laughs> you know, it was a whole different deal. So do you feel that? Do you feel like you've gone to another level with your intuitive facilitation in the space because of what you've been through? Oh, definitely, definitely. And I feel it's such a really does feel like a privilege to have shared the space with all these women over this last 10 years. You know, when I was diagnosed with cancer, my mother was dying. I was halfway through, you know, a six week group. And I had and, and interestingly, in that group, many people had had experiences of people dying from cancer. It just happened. You know, it, I don't think anything is a coincidence at Right to Be You, you know, in my space. And as you say, it's in my house, it's in my living room, you know, and when the group isn't there, I'm there with my kids and my dog and the place is a mess. But somehow, you know, on those mornings when, when, when we hold space and when everybody gathers, it's something truly magical happens. And, and, and there's potential. I always, I always hold potential for that. I hold potential for the, for the magic and the intuition and the transformation to happen in that space. Um, and it, it resonates. It resonates with everybody. And I've certainly grown into that, that depth in myself and that, that intuition. And I trust it now in a way that before I might have been sort of looking over my shoulder, like, well, what is, what is that sense? Of, you know, what do I make of that? But now I understand it. You know, now I just let it settle and absorb inside of me, if that makes sense, rather than question it. I loved our conversation. I love you. And I'm so grateful you're in my life. And thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, Kim, well, you know, it's mutual. I absolutely adore you. I'm so proud of everything that you're doing. And I think this podcast is amazing. So thank you for having me on as a guest. You've been listening to You Should Write a Book About That. If you enjoyed our episode, tell a friend to listen, subscribe and review on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. And a big shout out to our listeners on CastBox where you can leave a comment and I will personally respond.